Today on the Joy in the Word podcast, we pick up in the book of Esther, and we're in chapter 8. This chapter is entitled, The King's Edict in Behalf of the Jews. So it says, that same day, King Xerxes gave Queen Esther the estate of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. And Mordecai came into the presence of the king, for Esther had told how he was related to her. The king took off his signet ring, which he had reclaimed from Haman, and presented it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed him over Haman's estate. So here we have full restoration of what the enemy tried to take away, the Lord gave and restored Mordecai fully and completely. So picking up in verse 3, it says, Esther again pleaded with the king, falling at his feet and weeping. She begged him to put an end to the evil plan of Haman, which he had devised against the Jews. Remember that a king's edict cannot be reversed. So what Haman had the king say would happen was still in effect. So they had to come against it and have a new plan. It says the king extended the gold scepter to Esther, and she arose and stood before him. If it pleases the king, she said, and if he regards me with favor and thinks it the right thing to do, and if he is pleased with me, let an order be written overruling the dispatches that Haman has devised and written to destroy the Jews in all the king's provinces. For how can I bear to see disaster fall on my people? How can I bear to see the destruction of my family? So his original edict is still in effect because any king's edict cannot be overruled. So he has to create a new one. King Xerxes replied to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Because Haman attacked the Jews, I have given his estate to Esther, and they have hanged him on the gallows. Now write another decree in the king's name, in behalf of the Jews, as it seems best to you, and seal it with the king's signet ring. For no document written in the king's name and sealed with his ring can be revoked. So at once the royal secretaries were summoned. On the 23rd day of the third month, the month of Sivan, they wrote out all Mordecai's orders to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and nobles of the 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. So they wrote it in each of the different languages and scripts. Mordecai wrote in the name of King Xerxes and sealed the dispatches with the king's signet ring, sent them mounted by couriers who rode fast horses, especially bred, for the king. The king's edict granted the Jews in every city the right to assemble and protect themselves, to destroy, kill, and annihilate any armed force of any nationality or province that might attack them and their women and children, and plunder the property of their enemies. The day appointed for the Jews to do this in all the provinces of King Xerxes was the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, and that would have been March 7th, 473 BC. So it says a copy of the text of the edict is to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. Basically, if anybody tries to take advantage of the first edict, the second edict is in place for the Jews to defend themselves from the attackers following the first edict. So the couriers raced out and took the commands in every direction. Mordecai left the king's presence wearing royal garments of blue and white, a large crown of gold, and a purple robe of fine linen. 
The city of Susa held a joyous celebration. For the Jews, it was a time of happiness and joy, gladness and honor. In every province and in every city where the edict of the king went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews with feasting and celebrating. Many of the other nationalities became Jews because fear of the Jews had seized them. Now chapter 9 is entitled Triumph of the Jews. So on the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar, again we're talking in 473 BC, the edict commanded by the king was to be carried out. On this day, the enemies of the Jews had hoped to overpower them, but now the tables were turned, and the Jews got the upper hand over those who hated them. The Jews assembled in their cities and all the provinces of King Xerxes to attack those seeking their destruction. No one could stand against them, because the people of all the other nationalities were afraid of them. And all the nobles of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and the king's administrators helped the Jews, because fear of Mordecai had seized them. Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. The Jews struck down all their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying them, and they did what they pleased to those who hated them. In the citadel of Susa, the Jews killed and destroyed 500 men. They also destroyed several other men, and they list those men's names. These were the ten sons of Haman. But they did not lay their hands on the plunder. The number of those slain in the citadel of Susa was reported to the king that same day. The king said to Queen Esther, The Jews have killed and destroyed five hundred men and ten sons of Haman in the citadel of Susa. What have they done in the rest of the king's provinces? Now, what is your petition? It will be given to you. What is your request? It will be granted. So she replies, if it pleases the king, give the Jews in Susa permission to carry out this day's edict tomorrow also, and let Haman's ten sons be hanged on gallows. Now, his ten sons, of course, are already dead, but what she's requesting is that they be hung from the gallows to be displayed. So the king commanded that this be done. An edict was issued in Susa, and they hanged the ten sons of Haman. The Jews in Susa came together on the fourteenth day of the month of Adar, and they put to death in Susa three hundred men, but they did not lay their hands on the plunder. Meanwhile, the remainder of the Jews who were in the king's provinces also assembled to protect themselves and get relief from their enemies. They killed seventy-five thousand of them, but did not lay hands on the plunder. This happened on the thirteenth day of the month of Adar, and on the fourteenth day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. And now this leads to the celebration, which is called Purim. It says the Jews in Susa, however, had assembled on the thirteenth and fourteenth, and then on the fifteenth day they rested and made it a day of feasting and joy. That is why rural Jews, those living in villages, observed the 14th of the month of Adar as a day of joy and feasting, a day of giving presents to one another. Mordecai recorded these events and sent letters to all the Jews throughout the provinces of King Xerxes, near and far, to have them celebrate annually the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar, as the time when the Jews got relief from their enemies, and as the month when their sorrow was turned into joy and their mourning was turned into celebration. He wrote to them to observe the days as days of feasting and joy, as days of giving presents, of food to 
one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews agreed to continue the celebration they had begun, doing what Mordecai had written for them to do. For Haman, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast the pure for their ruin and destruction. So the pure, P-U-R, is another word for lot. And that is why this celebration is called Purim, because it is when Haman cast the lot against them. But when the plot came to the king's attention, he issued written orders that the evil scheme that Haman had devised against the Jews should come back on his own head, and that he and his son should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, these days were called Purim, from the word pure, because of everything written in this letter and because of what they had seen and what had happened to them, the Jews took it upon themselves to establish the custom that they and their descendants and all who joined them without fail observe these two days every year in the way prescribed and at the time appointed. These days should be remembered and observed in every generation by every family in every province in every city. And these days of Purim should never cease to be celebrated by the Jews nor should the memory of them die out among their descendants. In regard to that celebration, what they are celebrating is the fact that God set them free. Now, much controversy is surrounding the fact that in the book of Esther, the word God is never used. But the entire book is really about Esther submitting to the place that he has her. Just like Mordecai said, perhaps she was made for such a time as this. And so this call here by Mordecai to celebrate Purim is truly a call to thank God for the deliverance that he gave them, the miracle that he performed. Then it goes on to say in verse 29, Queen Esther, daughter of Abihel, along with Mordecai the Jew, wrote with full authority to confirm this second letter concerning Purim. And Mordecai sent letters to all the Jews in all the provinces of the kingdom words of goodwill and assurance to establish these days of Purim to be celebrated. It says Esther's decree confirmed these regulations about Purim, and it was written down in the records. Then chapter 10 is very short, and it ends the book of Esther, and it is entitled The Greatness of Mordecai. It says King Xerxes imposed tribute throughout the empire to its distant shores, and all his acts of power and might, together with a full account of the greatness of Mordecai, to which the king had raised him, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Media and Persia? Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Xerxes, preeminent among the Jews and held in high esteem by his many fellow Jews, because he worked for the good of his people, and he spoke up for the welfare of all the Jews. So that ends the book of Esther, the story of both Esther and Mordecai laying down their lives to save their people, or more importantly, the Lord their God choosing to redeem them.